This is Rowena from Pretty Creative, and my drink of choice is an ice-cold white wine. I'm Gemma from Contently Driven, and my drink of choice is red wine. And I'm Michaela from Inspired Office, and my drink of choice is a sparkling white wine. Work-life wine time supports the responsible consumption of alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome, wonderful ladies. Happy Friday. Happy bevy o'clock here at Work-Life Wine Time, which means it's now time for our next podcast this week. And it's Gemma here with you today. And I am ever so excited to connect you with our guest speaker and a copy mentor of mine, Kate Toon. Woohoo! It's lovely to be here. Thank you for having me, Gemma. Oh, hello, Kate. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, first of all, uh, for those who don't know Kate Toon, can you tell us what it is that you do? Well, I guess um, I guess I would call myself an entrepreneur. I like to call myself a misfit entrepreneur. Uh, because I run multiple businesses, but I don't really follow the whole path of being an entrepreneur and flying on a car, counting my money and all that kind of stuff. Uh, So I have three core businesses, the Clever Copywriting School, which teaches copywriters how to be better copywriters, the Recipe for SEO Success, which teaches uh, business owners and e-commerce store owners and marketers how to grapple Google and drive more traffic and conversions. And then also my third business, my the Digital Masterchefs, which is a membership, I guess, educating people on how to use digital marketing to build a business, whether it's online or not. So that's kind of a mix of different things. And in all of that, I've got podcasts, as I said, lots of courses, events, books, resources. There's a, there's a lot of moving parts in my business. Wonderful. So just a couple of things in there, right? Yeah, just a few. So before you became an entrepreneur, and I know you're not a big fan of that word, um, because like you said earlier, before I didn't hit record, uh, (laughs) can be a bit wanky, right? So I totally get that. Uh, So before you were an entrepreneur, tell us about your past work life. What were you doing? So, I mean, I started off in corporate world and, you know, I never really thought I would start my own business. I worked in events and then in digital marketing, working in agencies in the London and in Australia, Ogilvy and RMG, and mainly as a producer. So as somebody that organized uh, the work rather than was a creative, um, I did take a big pay cut at one point to become a copywriter. And I, you know, I got to work on great brands like Qantas and Microsoft and Telstra. Um, and then I went back to the production side because honestly it paid better. And at that point, that was what I was about. Uh, and I was working my way up to, you know, very senior roles. I was a general manager of an agency with big teams under me on the board, making big decisions, hiring and firing. It was utterly miserable. I really hated it, but I couldn't really see a way out uh, because I didn't know what I would do as a business. You know, I just seem stupid now, but, uh, and I would, I don't know if I'd ever have taken the plunge. You know, I talk a lot to people about, you know, the risk of running your own business. I don't know if, I don't know if I did take a risk. I just got pregnant which meant I could no longer keep working because I was a contractor and I knew I wasn't going to get maternity leave. So I had to very, very quickly find some way of making an income because I was the breadwinner. So about five months pregnant, I built my first website, katetoon.com, and I gave up my job and I just did anything to begin with. I was a graphic designer. I was a project manager. I was a copywriter. 
Then I really focused on SEO copywriting. And then about in about 2017, so about five or six years in, I started setting up all these kind of passive income uh, things, which is now my business today. And today I don't do any copywriting for clients anymore. It's purely uh, all this digital stuff that I do. There you go. That was a monologue. Sorry. <laughs> it was, but you also answered the next question I was going to ask you, what brought you to work for yourself? So it was a perfectly answered question. Double whammy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then finally, can you tell us a little bit about you, about, about Kate Toon outside of your business? Well, we were talking about this before, uh, you know, I think there wasn't much of a Kate Toon outside my business for a long time. Uh, obviously, when I had my little boy, I was focused on him. And then as he went to school and I, the world opened up, I really poured all of my energies into work. And um, I kind of realized about a year and a half ago, like, I don't have hobbies anymore. Like I used to read, I used to paint, I used to kickbox, I used to. And I let a lot of those things go because, as you know, with a small business, it can just seep into every crack of your life and every time that you free up it can fill and you'll never have enough time and there'll obviously more things to do so covid this covid year has been great for me um i know it's been horrendous for most people but i think it's been eye-opening for a lot of people and for me it stopped me being able to speak at events which was a huge time suck and kept me home more obviously uh, housebound I wasn't in Melbourne but we had a brief lockdown and I think we've all mentally been locked down whether we've been locked down or locked down so I've started to discover rediscover my hobbies and my life you know I'm, I'm, I'm big into swimming and I've just recently learned to drive which was a big challenge for me um, something I had a big mindset block about getting back into my Muay Thai my kickboxing um, getting back into reading and just having a more rounded life um, so yeah it's if you'd have asked me that question a year ago I'd have been like I don't know working but now it's a bit broader thank goodness yeah that that's wonderful and it, yeah it's fantastic getting back into into kickboxing I do boxing kickboxing myself so getting back into that after my extreme lockdown is wonderful so <laughs> yeah it's very cathartic isn't it and like you know just uh I like I like the strength being strong like, I think that's really important um, you know yeah absolutely wonderful well everyone before we get into the juicy goodness of today's podcast which is all about collaboration over competition which we love here at work wife wine time uh, but since we have uh, you the SEO queen yourself uh, can we have a little SEO chat to begin with yeah let's let's do it let's do it first of all the the big terrifying question what what the heck is SEO what even is it <laughs> yeah and, it, and I think it is terrifying it's interesting that you use that word because I think a lot of people are terrified of SEO so they they just ignore it and they'll you know spend hours and hours on Instagram posting you know graphics really because it's easy and because it's pretty whereas SEO is very powerful I, I read a stat today that said 80% of all transactions whether they're business b2b b2c whatever start with a google search so I think what that means is whatever you're doing on social uh, video networking email marketing print press whatever all of it is ultimately going to lead to someone heading to a search engine and typing something in now if you've done a good job of all that other stuff They'll be typing in Gemma Lukamski. They'll be typing in, you know, the name of your podcast. They'll be typing in the name of your business. If you haven't done such a good job, 
they'll be typing in SEO copywriter or they'll be typing in, you know, flor uh, florist in whoop whoop. And, you know, so either people are searching for who you are or they're searching for what you do. And SEO is really just the job of helping Google connect the dots. I like to say that it's like trying to make Google fall in love with your website. Um, and, you know, imagining that Google's a very fussy person and has 200 things on their list that it wants from the dream website and that you have to tick those off. And, and again, most of them are common sense. Like we all hate websites that have pop-ups. We hate websites that take ages to load. We hate it when we click on a search result and we get to the page and it's got nothing to do with what we were searching for. So a lot of it's common sense. Um, and, you know, it's part of your holistic marketing. It's not a checklist checkbox to be ticked. It's not something you do once. Everything you do relates back to SEO because ultimately, you know, even if you post on Instagram, someone might not click on that particular image, but they might remember you. And then three months later, when they need your service, they probably won't be able to find you on Instagram again because it's search on Instagram's appalling. They'll go to Google and they'll be like, what was the name of that woman? What did she do? Let me try and find her again. Mm, yeah, that's, that, that's fantastic. But getting back to what you said about the, the sort of checklist, the common sense, because yeah. um, I have many clients come to me and like, right, let's do SEO. Okay, let's do this. And then they sort of have an expectation that, okay, everything's there. Now it's done. It's ready. You know, but there's that you need that initial bits and pieces in place first, right? Before anything is going to. Yeah, work. I mean, there's really three phases to SEO. And um, the first is the site, your hub, you know, how it's built, where it's hosted, how fast it is. Is it mobile friendly? Can Google see every page? And that's what you would probably call technical SEO. And people get overwhelmed by that. But it's the most important bit because, you know, I've had people come to me who've been blogging for two years, but they have a small tech problem with their site, which means none of those blogs have been indexed. So no one's ever seen them. Um, the next is copy and, and keyword research, which is where people like you and I come in. Um, but we can't undo bad tech just with copy alone, you know. And then after that, it's everything else. It's what you do to build backlinks. It's, it's your brand presence on other websites, guest posting, directory listing. So it's, it's big, it's expansive. And I think, you know, when you get clients coming to you saying, let's do SEO, that you, and then you say, why? And they're like, I don't know, because we've been told to do it. Mm. And it's really important to go back and say, well, look, you know, the goal is not to rank. The goal is not to tick off boxes and shove out blog posts every five minutes. The goal is to make more money. So, you know, what, what words at the moment, what keywords are people typing into Google that actually make you money? Uh, because a lot of the time, you know, we see in Facebook groups, somebody going, oh, look, I'm ranking number one for this phrase. And you look at the phrase and go, no one has ever typed that phrase into Google ever. And even if they did, they're not going to buy anything from you. So it's pointless. So it's, it's often as an SEO copywriter, as you know, that our job is often to educate clients about what SEO really is and what it's going to take, because it's not quick. It's a slow burn. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thanks. That was, yeah, that was fantastic. Um, and I guess at, at the end of the day, um, when you said you, it's there to make money, to make your money, right? So it is such yep. an important part of your overall digital marketing efforts. Um, yeah, totally. I mean, unlike ads, which obviously you pay, you get your click, you stop paying, you don't get your click. SEO is a harder, it's like a big heavy flywheel. Like it's quite hard to get started, but once it's going and you get momentum, 
it can last for years. So I, you know, I haven't touched my Kate Toon copywriter website now for probably two years. It's still consistently, it's ranking in the top three, but, you know, hundreds of phrases. And I probably get 20 or so leads every week through that site that I can then pass on to the clever copywriting community. And that is work that I did years ago. Paying, still paying off now. So it, it is more effort, it is a learning curve, but it really can make a massive difference. Yeah, amazing. That's, I love it. <laughs> um, so let's, well, let's get into the juice of, of today. Here to talk about collaboration over competition. Uh, so first of all, what does it mean to you and for your business? Oh, it's, I mean, the reason I thought this was such an interesting topic to talk about is because I've grappled with this all, and I still am to some degree. And I think people who pretend that they never think about competition are, are utterly, you know, either lying to themselves or, or lying to us. So for me, it means, you know, embracing other people who do what you do rather than kind of, you know, like at school when you put your arm over your, over your exam results and, you know, make sure no one could copy. It's like going, look, you know, I'll, I'm doing me, you do you, there's enough work for everybody. Um, and it's such a hard lesson to learn. So yeah, I'm still learning it. Okay, that's, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so throughout your learning of it, when you started to embrace other people within your industry and, and things like that, what, what did it start to do for your business? Well, I mean, when I started out as a copywriter, I was utterly oblivious. You know, as I said, I started that website and off I went and I kind of wasn't really conscious that there were other copywriters out there I just kind of was like I'm gonna I'm gonna do this and then you know I put copywriter into Google and all these people came back and I was like how the heck am I gonna compete but also while I'd written copy in an agency I didn't really know what it was to run a freelance business because as we know being a freelance copywriter or a freelance designer or whatever you probably spend about 50% of your time actually doing your skill and 50% of your time running a business, marketing, finance, legals, team, you know, all that kind of stuff, which I knew nothing about. Um, so my first sort of foray into embracing competition was I set up a group on Google, Google uh, Plus, as it was back then. Um, it was a long time ago. And I just randomly invited 20 copywriters off Twitter to come and join. Um, and some of those, you know, now have gone on to do great things. You've got Belinda Weaver and, and um, Brooke McCarthy, Beck. Uh, Lambert, who runs the freelance jungle, um, you know, lots of people who've now got on to do amazing things, lots of people who are now no longer copywriters, but that early years of that community, we all just shared our ideas and everyone was open about it, even though we all did the same thing. And I learned so much that I'm now passing on to other people that it was amazing. Like it was, it was better than any course, better than any book. Because you could go into that group and I could say, hey, how do I deal with this situation? And there'd be someone there, either more experienced or less experienced, but they just had that, that, that thing happen to them. And it was just amazing for me. It was really so helpful. Mm, yeah, that's really interesting. Is that why you, you went on to create these sort of communities as well for yourself? Yeah. So I had that little sort of hub group and, you know, those, those kind of groups, they have a lifetime. Do you know what I mean? People come and go. Um, and so I created a bigger free group that was for anybody. And then after a while I was like, I'm giving away a lot of my 
IP and my ideas. Maybe I should have a paid version of this where I can scale it and whatever. And that became the Clever Copywriting Community, which I started six years ago now. We just had our 60 year anniversary uh, for our first couple of members. And, you know, yeah, that has it's as much for me as it was for the community. I mean, I'm no longer a copywriter. I still write a lot. I have just have one terrible client, which is myself. Um, I still write a lot and, you know, I've built that group. So it's not hundred percent reliant on me. We have ambassadors and other people in the group. And, and I just, you know, that is the group that I wish I'd had when I started, because I had two or three years of being on my own, not knowing what the hell I was doing. And if I'd had that group, I'd have got to where I am now or to where I wanted to be so much faster and just with so much less stress, so stressful running your own business. And I just, I had no one to talk to about it. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of that community. Absolutely. It, it really is wonderful. I, I was saying that's why I joined initially when I started freelancing overseas when I was living there and came back and, you know, right, I'm going to make this into a business and I have a marketing degree business degree and you know what once you're on your own it's like what do I do I don't know exactly <laughs> yeah yeah it's funny isn't it like that it, that the real life application of those skills is completely different it's crazy so yeah absolutely and it, it sort of goes back to that you know I was, was doing it for years for clients in the corporate world but there's yeah something about doing it for yourself you know so well uh, yeah, is there anyone else out there doing this can I join at something that someone will, you know, have some tips or ideas or something, you know? Um, yeah. And I'm always amazed at how many copywriters there are. I mean, I think we've got 300 plus people in that community and that's mostly Australian. We've got people from all over the world, but, you know, and I think this is a really important thing. It's only something that I realized recently is my attitude to competitors changed when I, my business changed. Because as a copywriter, I only had 20 hours a week. I could only ever service maximum 10 clients a month. And therefore, this notion of abundance and there's enough people to go around really works because you can't literally serve everybody, you know, like you've only got this much time. But when you move into a, from a one-to-one model from a, to a one-to-many model, there is no limit to the amount of people you can serve. So competition becomes much more of a thing. You know, I've got an SEO course, you've got an SEO course. Are people going to do both or are they going to make a choice? And, it, and you know, therefore the competition becomes realer and it has more of an impact on your business. And so I think that was when it kind of ramped up for me, you know, when I started to launch these passive income products, the kind of the fear of competition. Okay. Yeah, that's, mm. that's really interesting, actually. So uh, how about we sort of delve into and discuss mindset and, and self-confidence around that yeah. um, since you said it was something you were grappling with and you know in your journey towards opening up to collaborating um, how was that self-confidence and all of that and mindset help, helped you there? Well, I think, you know, when I started out, as I said, I was oblivious that there were people doing what I was doing as you spend more time in your industry and in your niche you discover that there are just thousands and thousands of people doing exactly what you're doing. And that brilliant resource you've just created, someone else has created it. In fact, not just someone else, 200 people have created it and there's a better and bloody hell and they cost less or whatever. And it, it's overwhelming. And, you know, you get to the point where you just can't look anymore because it's just, it's not, you're not doing competitor research. You're not being inspired. You're actually having your spirit crushed. 
because if you kind of think of the sheer weight of people doing what you do, you would never do anything. Um, but on the flip of that, there are just so many people who need those products and services. And you, because you're in your niche, you know about all these other people who do this thing. But other people don't have a clue. Like if I said to my uh, partner, uh, you know, talks about Gary Vaynerchuk or Amy Porter, is it Amy Porterfield? Pat Flynn, you know, these, these very famous entrepreneurs that we know about, they'd be like, who, what? Just like if you're a, you know, a professional cyclist, you know the name of all the cyclists. I don't know, I couldn't name one. So we become, we can become very obsessed and we can very, very much spiral and start to question our own self-worth and what we have to offer. Um, and I think that's why it's so tied to confidence and believing that you are enough which is a big challenge for most people. You are enough, not because you've got a degree or because you're nice or whatever, just because you are. And that also, you know, there is abundance, but at the end of the day, obviously there is only, you know, there's a lot of people out there, but of course people do make choices and they do decide to buy this rather than that. And the reason they decide to do that really often isn't about price, about features, about benefits. It's just about, they like the cut of your jib. They like you. They, there's something about you that clicks with them. And, and, and you have probably very little idea what that really is. You can try and work out why people like working with you. You can read reviews, but sometimes I don't, you don't even know. You know, like, why do I like that person on Instagram, but that person I've had to block because even just the sight of their face makes me annoyed. I don't know why, they're lovely people, but they drive me crazy. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> It's really interesting, actually, and I, I really like how you, you're speaking about abundance and, and you know, we, we see so much information out there at, at the moment with mindset and coaches and everything and this word abundance is everywhere, which is amazing in, in some parts, but I guess thinking about abundance in business of, you know, every client in the world you could have, there really is only so many you can serve and take on yourself, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, so I, I find and that. Yeah, and it's important to think about that because, you know, as a good question to challenge yourself with is what if tomorrow I waved my magic wand and you were famous and you had 100,000 followers on Instagram and you had 200,000 people on your list? Um, how would that change your business? Would it change your business? You know, if someone said to me tomorrow, right, the next round of recipe, you can have 5,000 people on it, you know? Would I want that? No, I absolutely wouldn't. I couldn't cope with that. I have systems in places in place, but it's not who I want to be. And also, you know, this sounds a bit cheesy and whatever, but you know, and, and it's, it sounds like something that people with money say, but I've been poor for a very, very long time. So, um, you know, how much money do you really need? And what are you willing to sacrifice for that money? Because it is a sacrifice. It is an exchange. You can't, it, there is no such thing as absolute passive income. So, you know, like, if you take that the, the abundance approach, but also go, I don't want everybody because I couldn't cope with everybody and I don't need that much in my life. You know, I'd rather have fewer clients and more of a life. I don't know. That's, that's an, another perspective on it, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, I, I'm thinking about uh, enoughness as well um, mm. and going back to, you know, being poor and then all of a sudden having 5,000 people sign up, which you don't want. Um, I, I find so many people that they search for their enoughness through a validation from something, you know, so, oh, I am, but once I get 5,000 people sign up for my course, then I'll be enough, but they get there. What's changed? It's exactly. It's, nice. it's, 
I've been there and I, I think I call it summit syndrome. I don't think that's my term, it's someone else's, but um, you get to a certain point, you set yourself a goal and you reach that goal and then you find that it's ultimately very unsatisfying. So, you know, that goal could be financial. So for me, a long time, it was driven by money because I needed to replace income and then I would set these goals and then you get to the financial point and it's like, it doesn't fill your soul. It really, really doesn't. So then maybe you look at numbers of people or levels of engagement or whatever. Again, it's not satisfying. But the truth is none of it's satisfying because then you can go into productivity. Well, I'm not going to measure myself by how much money I make, but how much work I do. Again, not satisfying. Okay, well, I won't do that. I'll think about my contribution to the world and how I'm helping people and the positive feedback I get. But then again, it's not that satisfying. Lots of people telling you you're brilliant. At the end of the day, it's like, great. You know, there'll always be somebody who tells you you're not brilliant and you'll listen to that more. So as you said, all these things, finance, productivity, love, fame, ego, none of them actually make you feel enough because it's internal and none of those external factors can influence that. And that is, I guess, the ultimate lesson, not just of business, but of life. And it's a very hard one to learn. Um, and I think that you have to be an extremely strong person not to be impacted by, oh, look at all this money or, oh, look at all these people liking me. And to just keep on going like, like a flat line and not be up and down every day by external factors. It's very hard. Uh, absolutely. I mean, it's <laughs> real human, right? <laughs> yeah. It is. It is. I have, I have found over the years that, that that up and down, that roller coaster has evened out, has leveled out a lot. And, um, you know, I don't really get impacted by positive feedback anymore. That sounds really horrible because, of course, it's nice. But if you let that impact you too much, then negative feedback really hurts. So you have to, um, you know, treat them both the same. You know, there's a, uh, the, the Ruyard Kipling poem, If, which is, you know, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. You know, you have to treat everything as the same and not let it impact you too much. Mm, that's... Yeah, wonderful. <laughs> uh, so what was it, whether it was a, perhaps a, a mindset shift for you or um, rather not worrying about competitors and, you know, the billions of people out there doing what you do, what was a sort of a turning point in, in your business? Yeah, I'm not sure if I've had a turning point, like a, not a hairpin turn. I think it's been a really lazy arc of, of slow realisations. Um, I used to be quite um, it's not litigious it's not the right word but I was on it you know I was holding on really tight and when I saw someone even like putting a toe into my space or copying something I was on it I was on it like you've copied this you've copied this and you know a lot of the time people would it wouldn't own it or or they would uh not even realize that they'd copied you know they've just been inspired and we all don't you know we all that happens to all of us and then you realize that there's very few new ideas um and again, you realize that it's not about the content you deliver or even the service, you know, the words that you write or the product that you sell. It's how you sell it. It's how you write it. It's how you talk to people. And I think, you know, the pivot for me was kind of starting to like myself a bit more and realize that, you know, maybe some people like my sense of humor. Maybe some people like my writing style. And that's why they follow me. So. I don't know if there's a definite turning point. I think speaking at a lot of events really improved my confidence. Uh, I spoke at 37 events in one year and went from, you know, being the sort of speaker that falls over on stage, which I did at We Are Podcast and mumbles and grumbles through a presentation to being able to turn up and talk about anything. And that was big for my confidence because you get to see people responding to you, good or bad, you know? 
Um, but yeah, I don't know if there's been an actual turning point. Um, maybe I'm still turning. I don't know. <laughs> so then can you share your your top tips with us of what helped you, I guess, embracing competition rather than, than fighting it? Uh, I think... I think it's everything we talked about feeling confident in your own abilities and that, you know, yes, there'll always be someone out there who's better, faster, younger, cooler, richer, whatever. But <laughs> number one, most people don't know about them. Like we think that everyone knows all the people in our industry. They don't, they've never heard of them. Number two, again, there's just this inexplicable reason why people will buy from you, but only if you ex express your unit. You know, a lot of people hide behind a kind of vanilla facade. And the more that you, you can be, the more you're going to, yes, repel people, but the more you're going to attract your people who like you and who will stick with you and buy from you and work with you regardless, you know, because they're not about price and they're not about features and they're not about inclusions. They're about liking you, the human, building that know, like, and trust. So I think share, my tips would be, you know, sharing more of yourself, being brave enough to do that and not letting any negativity, negative comments get you down, like keeping on going, finding your little gang of people. I don't like to use the word try, but your gang of humans that, you know, support you. You don't want to live in an echo chamber. It is important to have other people's viewpoints that challenge yours. I think we've really seen that this year with the whole Black Lives Matter uh, issue that you know some of us are living in this little universe of white privilege and not really getting what's going on and it's good to have those opinions but don't let them slay you um and just to keep on keeping on you know I don't think I'm necessarily successful because I'm a genius I think I'm a successful because I I persisted I kept on turning up and I learned from my mistakes and I just kept on going there's a lot to be said for just wearing people down and eventually they buy from you so I don't know if that was a great answer but yeah and I try to have a bit of a sense of humor about it all as well you know like it's not we're not we're not curing cancer literally you know we're making social media captions do you know what I mean it's 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 not that important at the end of the day you know and I think a big year like this year has shown us what really is important and that perspective right back to the looping back to your first question of like what do you do outside business having a healthy life outside your business is so important because it's so easy to get lost in your business and think that tiny things are huge things. Mm, absolutely. It's, it's really true. Yeah. I've, I've, I've done it myself as well. It's just my whole life is my business. That's it. You know, and that's, it's not healthy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's easy trap to fall into because, you know, if you love your business, which I, I do love mine, I love what I do. I do think it's very much part of who I am. Does it define me? No, but it's definitely part of the definition. But yeah, it's easy to slip and it, you really need to have some good friends, colleagues, both in your business and outside to go, hey, come on, Gemma, what are you doing? Why are you obsessing over that? Like, it's a Canva graphic, move on. You know, you need someone to just shake you by the shoulders and say, you're being an idiot right now. Um, and, you know, thankfully I've got lots of people who are very willing to tell me I'm an idiot and thank goodness. Yeah, that, that was gonna be my, my next question actually, because we we created Work-Wife Wine Time out of uh, myself, Rowena and, and Michaela being what we called work wives. And that's exactly yeah. what we would do, you know, whether it's a phone call of tell me I'm, I'm being ridiculous, like just yes. say, Gemma, stop, <laughs> you know? Or the other way, oh, I just did this. How cool is this? You know, so have you had a, a work wife or a work husband somewhere along the lines of those 
people that you could call and you know and yeah I mean I, I I think I'm not a monogamous when it comes to work wives and work husbands I've, I've had many over the years and, and yeah. continue to have many because different people feed different parts of you and yeah you know people that you can celebrate your successes with who aren't going to see you as being arrogant or showing offy people who you can say look what would you do in this situation and you can get a different perspective and people who can talk you down from a moment of rage or foolishness and stop you doing something stupid I used to have a post-it note on my computer that said don't react don't react so that to, to anything and that sounds really bad because I don't want to be an unemotional business person. But, you know, that nasty email you got, don't react. That client that didn't pay, don't react. The copycat, don't react. Just let it sit with you for a few days and then choose your course of action. But having a group of people who can hold you back, you know, uh, it's, it's like the virtual friend who holds your hair as you when you're over the toilet you know you need that person you need that toilet friend I don't know what I'm talking about now but yeah we all need a work wife or a work husband and um I've had some amazing ones uh in my time mm, absolutely or perhaps we should yeah rename it to our toilet friend I do like that toilet friend <laughs> horrible horrible don't do that <laughs> uh, that, that, that's fantastic now just before we we finish up what's What's your final thought of, of the day? One final thought, final tip, anything you can give our amazing audience here? Well, I think, you know, in the theme of this episode and, and the whole vibe of your podcast, I think, you know, you can waste so much time looking at what your competitors are doing. You know, if I toggle, if I use toggle to track the time I have spent looking at other people's stuff, it would be, I'd be appalled. And every hour I spend looking at their stuff, I'm not spending an hour looking at my own stuff. So, you know, don't think that by following people who do what you do, you know, don't think you're being collaborative necessarily. That's not community. Sometimes it pays to not be on someone's newsletter, to not collaborate, especially if they trigger you. Like if there's people that you see on social media who like always make you feel a bit poo about what you're doing or like, oh God, look at the opportunity they got. And it makes you feel a bit poo about yourself. You know, that can slay you for days. That can ruin your productivity and really bring you down. And don't feel bad about that because a lot of us feel like that. And even the most, I get to talk to some of the biggest names out there, you know, big entrepreneurs they're exactly the same. You know, we're all looking at Sue over there who's doing amazing things, feeling bad about ourselves. So don't look would be my biggest piece of advice. And if you want to look anywhere, look to your customers, ask your customers what they want and make your business decisions, your marketing plan about what they want, not about what your competition are doing. That would be my final tip. And it's a, a, a very good one. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, well, we uh, here started doing similar things, you know, because you do realise when, when you just fall into that rabbit hole of, you know, endless scrolling through of looking what other people are doing and, you know, that person's done that and, you know, it, do it does slay you for days, you know. It does. I mean, I even got intimidated by your Instagram feed the other day. I sent you a little message saying how cute your Instagram feed was. And I was like, mine looks rubbish. What's she doing? You know, um, but, you know, we're mates, so it's okay. I, was, I just said, your Instagram feed looks great. And I moved on. But I, you know, unfortunately, I actually have unfollowed some people who I consider quite good friends, simply because they're just too fabulous at the moment. And, I, and I, especially if I'm not feeling fabulous, I can't sometimes deal with that every day. It's really hard to get up and motivate yourself as a small business owner every single day. So you have to really look at what 
demotivates you and you have to eliminate it and be strong about that and not feel guilty about it. Absolutely. And yeah, we, we, we do the same thing. You know, if, yeah. if following that person is then affecting your productivity, unfollow. But, yeah. you know, and you, you're already automatically fine. Like, oh, look at my productivity. I'm actually back in my business doing stuff and not falling down the rabbit hole. <laughs> Yeah. And these, these people that you, you know, I, we all have theories in our life where we almost, we create running mates or what, or we create people who we aspire to be, or we see someone who's doing good things. And we're like, Oh, I want to be like them. And then suddenly that can go from being inspired by them to being a bit jealous of them and they can really dominate your mind. And then you find that if you just unfollow them, it'll be like a year later and you'll be like, God, I have not thought about such and such for a year. And yet I used to think about them all the time. I was reading their newsletter and checking the thing. And you're like, they just go away. They go away. And you fill that space up with better thoughts and different things. And, and that's better for you. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It's, it's, it's amazing being even on the same page with this. It's just, it's, it makes such a difference to your business, to oh. even sometimes your mental health, right? Yeah, absolutely. So much on your business and, everything's in there then it just really starts to affect everything yeah it really does you can really spiral and I know that it's a, a, a especially a problem I think for creative business owners because we are empathetic creatures we do feel things deeply and um, I think we underestimate what an impact these things can have so yeah well I guess that that brings us to to the end um, it's time for that's a wrap I guess <laughs> Yay! Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm loving your podcast and um, I think it's a great theme to cover. So thank you for having me today. Oh, thank you so much for being here, Kate. Uh, and as always, all of you kick-ass women, fellow work wives, remember you're not alone because collaboration is power. And most importantly, we all get it. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you enjoyed it, hit subscribe. If you'd like to learn more, then check out our website, www.workwifewinetime.com.au. While you're there, jump on our mailing list to receive special updates and offers from our guests. Until next time, take care and drink responsibly.